Due to harsh language and violent content, listener discretion is advised. The podcast which you are about to hear is an account of the horror suffered by a group of three adults, Stuart, Arnie, and Brock. Though they had experienced horror before, had they lived very, very long lives they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and the macabre as they were to see with this retrospective series. For them, a movie review podcast became a six-piece symphony of terror. The events of this viewing were to lead to one of the most bizarre podcasts in the annals of Internet history. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre Retrospective Series. Today we're discussing The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, starring Patrick Stewart, Jonathan Frakes, Brent Spot. Wait, no. Starring, Wait a second. Starring Renee Zellweger, Matthew McConaughey. No, I'm actually reading the right names this time. <laughs> Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey and Robert <laughs> Jacks, directed by Kim Henkel. I'm Arnie, co-host of Now Playing. This is Angry Face in L.A. All right, all right, all right. This is Brock sitting here with my shirt off, playing the bongos, ready to talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just gonna review it. Not a big fucking deal. No big deal. What I like about these movies is they keep putting them out and they keep saying the same age for that stupid quote. I love that quote. And I do like Matthew McConaughey as a slime ball. I think he's always, they've recently tried to make him into some kind of romantic comedy stud, but he has always worked for me and always been the guy from Dazed and Confused who is just lecherous and oblivious and just funny because he doesn't get the joke. And he's kind of that character here in away. I mean, he's definitely slimy at least. Yeah, I love him in this movie. I'm just gonna say that right now. I thought Vigo was good in the last one. Matthew McConaughey just steals it. He takes the ball and runs with it in this one. Wow. And what a difference from the last movie is that we talked about how these actors, you know, I made a comment about how the lead woman, she stayed around, but she wasn't really a name. But that Zellweger, you know, she never went on to do much, did she? She, multiple Oscar nominations, of course, the Oscar win for Cold Mountain. She won. Yeah, for Cold Mountain. Anyway, how about a plot summary? Gentlemen... I will begrudgingly call this collection of cliches a plot (laughs) if I can have a little backup. Brock. Yes. Every time I say something to you, you know, you're the horror newbie, but you've been watching him with us, right? Like every time I say something that may sound a little familiar, like you heard of that part before, I just want you to give me a little buzz from your chainsaw. I just want you to a little zip, zip, you know, something. Just put it out there. Okay. Okay. Sure. No problem. All right. For example, I'm going to say the movie begins on prom night. Yeah, exactly. Okay, we got this. All right. It's prom night for some rural Texas teenagers, including a high school virgin. Played by a pre-fame Renee Zellweger. Her bimbo friend. And their stoner and womanizer dates. 
<laughs> a heated argument that leads to a car accident strands them in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Despite the bimbo's sinking feeling that something terrible is just about to happen, <laughs> she, the virgin, the womanizer, all wander off to find help and end up at a spooky old house. <laughs> this chainsaw is sounding more like Beaker from the Muppets every round. <laughs> it's kind of like a film strip. You know, every time you kind of change the slide, you have like a little noise. Yeah. Well, and of course, the spooky old house is the lair for a family of uh, rednecks who may or may not be cannibals. I'm not sure about that one. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You got to gear down for that. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but there's a psycho tow truck driver played by pre-fame Matthew McConaughey. He kills the stoner. Uh, the, there's a seemingly kindly real estate agent who gains the team's trust before turning out to be one of the killers. <sighs> and then the virgin spends the rest of the film running from a chainsaw wielding maniac. Folks, we just killed more cliches than bodies drop in this movie. This thing is just replete with unoriginal plot points. But you can put away your power tool, Brock, for the head scratching ending in which we learn that the family has been working with a mysterious organization of men in black who arranged the killing of Kennedy among many other conspiracies and this man whose name is Mr. Rothman picks up Jenny in a limo after McConaughey gets his head chopped off by a crop duster and then apologizes to her, drops her off at the hospital and the original members of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre are there to comfort her and promise that all this weirdness is going to be explained very very soon presumably in a sequel but the joke's on you, Mrs. Utami, because Renee is going to win an Oscar <laughs> and she is never going to do another Texas Chainsaw Massacre as long as she lives. And we're so glad about that because I don't want to know anymore. Here's what's funny is it wasn't Zellweger who put the brakes on this. This movie was filmed, but shortly after this movie was filmed, a little movie called Dazed and Confused was also filmed in Texas with both of these actors in it because mm -hmm. they well, were... Well, she had a walk-on. She literally has a cameo. She's not in the movie, but... I'm just saying she's in it. I didn't say she starred. Yeah, 10 seconds. She's the girl that walks by and McConaughey says the sleazy line about, the same age line. But... After Dazed and Confused, McConaughey's star was on the rise, and the CAA, not wanting this associated with McConaughey, kind of coerced the studio into dumping this silently. And my wife, when we were watching this, said, when was this released? And I couldn't really tell her, because the first edit was done in 94 in test screen. The release of some sort was in 95. It's South by Southwest. There's a music film festival in Austin that's really big, and they did screen it in South by Southwest in 1995. And then in 97, it got its first VHS dump, and also a release in 20 theaters just to avoid the direct-to-DVD moniker. And let's face it, that's when they were really stars. Days didn't confuse, didn't make him a star. A Time to Kill in 1996 made Matthew McConaughey a star. And yeah, Jerry Maguire in 1996 made Renee Zellweger an Oscar-nominated star. Right, but it was their star being on the rise that caused this to kind of fizzle. They wanted to release this like they did part three, at least, and try to get some money. But when McConaughey started getting these bigger roles, the studio was pressured if they wanted to work with him in the future to not promote this. 
Mm. And so, yeah, it made its way onto VHS and got a new cover focusing much more on its stars that now were names than Leatherface, the original poster. You know, much like when Christian Slater became famous, they brought out that movie he did as a teenager and things like that. They always do this. They find something in the garbage bin. It's true. There's something with Toby McGuire and Leonardo DiCaprio where they were, I think they're even nude in it. And like that's been buried (laughs) and never gotten released. But this may have actually been bigger had McConaughey and Zellweger not tried to squelch this from their resumes. Maybe. I'll grant you the hypothetical. Maybe it could have been bigger, but mm, I've seen the movie. You know, what's interesting about that, Arnie, is that the only things I knew about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series before we reviewed this movies in this retrospective series was, A, there was a massacre involved with a chainsaw. B, it took place in Texas. And C, one of them has Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger in it. That's all I knew. If they tried to squash this, they did a horrible job because everybody that knows anything about Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger knows that the kind of kitschy, funny thing is these two were in a Texas Chainsaw movie together. Yeah, but nobody sees it. Like, they, no. Of course it's a joke that they were in it, but are you really going to go back and watch how it is? I never have seen this movie until we reviewed it this week. I, I had no curiosity to know how a fourth Texas Chainsaw Massacre that had been unceremoniously dumped in the middle of the 90s was going to play out. I knew what it was. It's going to be Halloween 6 or Jason Goes to Hell. The horror genre before Scream was in a real crisis and they were doing crazy things like coming up with these conspiracies. I mean, that was Halloween 6, right? The thorn thing. Or Jason (laughs) Goes to Hell was oh, it's bigger than the serial killers now. It's like, oh, there's this mystical thing and if you eat the heart anyone can be Jason. And there was no belief and trust that the old guard slasher people could pull off their own movie. They had to make it about crazy conspiracies and larger-than-life villains, and it was in disarray. And this movie is in disarray. You mentioned how you hadn't seen it until now. This is the one I've seen the most. I saw this before its official DVD release on some cable channel somehow. And then I saw it again on DVD in 97, 98 when it was released. And I have watched this many, many times on cable since, and I was looking forward to watching it again. Wow. I cannot imagine anyone looking forward to seeing this again. I did, although it had been about a decade since I've seen it. And I watched it a lot in a short time in the late 90s, and then I hadn't really caught it this decade. And I really want to go back and revisit that whole thing I barely remembered about the Men in Black Illuminati type thing. That was the thing I couldn't remember very clearly. But I did remember Zellweger and McConaughey. What I also had blocked from my memory, though, was every other actor in this film because they are terrible. Yeah, they they are are. abysmally terrible. They are like worse than high school drama terrible. Sure. Yeah. I mean, they get no pass from me. I mean, there's Heather and Barry is basically what you're talking about. Barry would kill if you had a Jeremy Piven or a Robert Downey Jr., someone who could make you laugh at the asshole, but with them at the same time. This guy is just a raving jerk. Like, he's written that you want him to die, and the guy has no idea how to win the audience over. So it's just like, he's just someone that I would never spend a car ride with. And the fact that we have to spend half the movie waiting for him to get the mallet to the head, I just couldn't take it. And they can't kill her. They throw her (laughs) on the hook, they throw her in the freezer, they set her on fire. This girl never goes down. I I was half expecting her to pop up in the end with a limo. 
ammo and then get killed in another way. The girl's a Timex, man. It's amazing. I couldn't believe three-fourths of the movie she's on the floor of the house. And I'm like, you're still alive after all of that? What I do think, though, she's awful. The scene that I almost had to fast-forward through is where she's talking about how she's not dumb, but she's just a bitch like her mother. And that that was painful. It was just a painful, painful mm-hmm. scene. But when mm-hmm. Leatherface yeah. finally starts going at her, she can scream and she's hot. So I think that all they did was bring hot women into a room and say scream. And that's how they got their job because she really had some lungs. Okay. I do love though that she didn't stay in the freezer because in the first movie, Leatherface put the body in the freezer. Here she's like trying to open the freezer again. He has to find something heavy to put on it. I was laughing out loud. I was just so enjoying it. I did laugh at that. They seem to be trying to recapture part two. Like I think it's important. Like this is not a sequel. This is some kind of redo and that the next generation they're talking about is that a new generation of killers. It's not a new breed of Sawyers. This is for the next generation that would never go back and watch a movie from the 70s, has no idea who Leatherface or any of these people are and are not going to be irritated at how this movie rips itself off. I completely agree. This is as much of a reboot as anything or a remake. In fact, In listening to some of the extra scenes and whatnot, these characters are in many cases supposed to be directly from the original. The character Matthew McConaughey is supposed to be the hitchhiker from the original one. And the W.E. character is supposed to be the cook from the last one. And they even offered that job to the actor who played the cook in the first two, but he was, quote, unavailable, unquote. He was also unavailable for a cameo at the end when they bring back Franklin and... Yes. Yeah. Okay. I guess they have some license to do that because this has been written and directed by Kim Henkel, the man that wrote the original, and you would imagine that that's what he's going to try and recapture, but no, I feel like Toby Hooper in the had part two had his satire of what had been done in the original, and this one felt like a satire from the screenwriter's perspective. It was the same damn movie, except he's just winking at you the whole time and going, this is horrible, right? <laughs> and he's right. Like, I, And I'm shocked that he would play it that way. I really have always thought that the idea was to get it back to the roots and be scary again, but it will never be, apparently. Ah, let's wait for the remake. Wait for the remake. Oh, yes, the remake. This one is going down the drain and coming back out the other end. This one goes into the so bad, it's hysterically good for me. Okay. I'm laughing the whole time. It's terrible, and I'm loving every minute of it. Oh, okay. Okay. I think that's important to stress for the audience that you think that this is terrible. Yeah. I don't think many people on this earth are going to look at that and say, I love what they've done to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No, like there's this funny ass scene early on where Heather and Sean and Renee Zellweger plays Jenny. They're walking through the woods and he drops the flashlight, right? And he goes, I can't see a fucking thing. The set is overlit. Yeah. Everything is completely clear. I don't know if it's like the brightest full moon ever, but it's things like this that just had me rolling with laughter. See, it had my eyes rolling because what they had was the path in the forest where they're all, all the actors are safely walking through the darkest forest in the world on the 
outside, but in the middle, it was daytime almost. It was so darn bright. Yeah. It's insane. There's one shot when Zellweger has the flashlight and it goes out a little later on after this, what you're talking about, and it's pitch black and she's in the woods. It's a full figure of her as she's searching for the flashlight on the ground. As soon as she turns it on, it's back to the studio lighting. It's insanity the, in the way this movie is lit insanity it doesn't make any sense i have to say they did some cool things with it i i did actually admire the headlights in the grass as the truck is chasing down zellweger i thought that was pretty cool i won't give any props to the headlights but i will say this the stunt double was pretty professional in all of the texas chainsaw the only one that i can say that this one exceeds all the other ones is that they have a stunt woman for renee and she really jumps through those windows and really jumps on some power lines and stuff i this is the first time i felt like the stunts were convincing i was very happy she went through the window they always go through the window in this series but we never see it we never see it right because the first movie the girl did it. Now they brought that back. Of all the things to bring back, this no. In the second one, didn't Stretch jump out the window at the radio station? She did. Oh, I stand corrected. Okay, all right. But I was happy that made a return here. I like that. I had to get out of here. Okay, I'll jump through a window. That's desperation. So I like that. Zellweger, I thought, was good in this movie as well. I guess I've seen Bridget Jones too often to buy her as the virginal geek. But there was one line she gave that was just terrible. When she goes to the real estate office after, all of a sudden she, like, breaks her character's tension. She's just like, he had a chainsaw. He was chasing me with a chainsaw. It was like Valley Girl all of a sudden. I don't think she was very good at all. I mean, here's what it is. I think the star quality of Renee and Matt Matthew come through in this movie. I think I can see, even in trash, how someone would look at them and go, these people are going to be big. But I don't think either one of them are really that good here. I don't think she's, like, good. I don't think you can be good in something like this with a role like this. I mean, this is really bad. There's no saving this. And it's not like they're playing this for laughs in a way that makes it funny. It's like, hey, we made a bad movie. I guess you better laugh because it's better than trying to pretend like you're scared. I don't think Renee Zellweger gave a great performance here, but it's not like the guy who played the jerk, the, the Barry. Oh, no, Barry, he's the worst. Yeah. Who, who, like, for example, in one scene is at gunpoint goes in the house at gunpoint, locks the guy who quotes the historical figure, talk about him later, out the door, and then is in this strange house after having a gun pointing at him is just casual like he's walking down the street. Nothing else is there. He completely changes gears, goes in the bathroom, starts calling for his girlfriend in the middle of a strange house when a shotgun guy was right. I mean, the logic this character has is nil. At least what Renee Zellweger was doing was her character throughout the whole time was affected, comparatively speaking, to her situation and what was going on throughout the entire movie. This other guy was night and day, depending on what the scene was, had no through line at all. It was just putrid. I wondered if they were even trying to make that part of the joke. It's really hard to say, but again, a Robert Downey Jr., a Jeremy Piven, they could have made that work. This guy, ugh. I have to agree. When he locked the front door of the house, I'm like, does he not think this house has a back door? Yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, logic has gone out of the window here. I mean, they're not really trying to create tension. They're not really trying to create a plausible sense of people in danger. There's really 
not much going on here. Like you talk about it, it becomes about the family. I, I'm glad you could see it that way. I had no idea what this movie was about. The satire is gone. The horror is gone. Any sense that the characters are going to grow and change, we know that's not going to happen from any of the movies. I was really left the whole time wondering what is the point. Well, I got to that because what happened is Renee Zellweger escapes the house and goes back to the real estate agent's office. And shocker, the real estate agent's part of the family. She's the normal mm-hmm. looking one this time. Right. And they throw Zellweger in a trunk. And then this movie shifts gears because, first of all, I didn't understand why. Are they cannibals still this movie? Because uh, the, the real yeah. estate lady goes out for pizza. And I, I know, I, and <laughs> gets vegetarian at yes, that. I was like, yes. <laughs> I was so confused by that. I'm like, are they not going to turn her into food? Is that the point of of capturing people is to not turn them into delicious meat? Like they seem to have gotten away from that completely. Yeah, I, I kind of thought they'd make their own pizza at home with a little bit of Zellweger's thigh. Right. I did not expect to see them at the drive through lane of Bud's hamburger. I also want to know why the pizzeria was playing Mexican music, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah, it's it- Texas. <laughs> <laughs> So they get back to the house with the pizza, and now the whole thing focuses on the family. We got McConaughey, who plays Vilmer. I love him in this movie. I do. I just think he is so great because he's himself, and he's menacing. He needs to play a villain again. He needs to go against type. He needs to break out of this bullshit, I'm in love with Jennifer Lopez and a romantic comedy shit he's doing, and go and do something edgy. Yeah, there's no doubt I would fully support him chasing Jennifer Lopez with a chainsaw. (laughs) That said, I can't say that this was a great performance or I, I can't get behind you in the sense that this is somehow great to watch him in this. You're right. He's doing the stock I'm the crazy hitchhiker role that we've seen Vigo do, that we saw the guy in the first one do, that Bill Mosley does in the second one. It's always been a little bit over the top for me, and I never feel like I want as much of this character as I'm given, and that's definitely true here. I gotta say something, though. His leg is robotic, cybernetic. They make a big deal of that early on. Did anyone have the confusion that maybe this was Leatherface unmasked? Like, because the last movie his leg was in a brace i actually thought it was possible he could have been leatherface i was wondering why the brace did make the transition from leatherface to the brother this time it's it's such a weird thing to have this mechanical armature for your leg that you don't think it's random that they'd put it in two movies in a row but the fact that it went from Leatherface to this guy is strange. I have to agree I didn't understand why it was there and then they played it for high comedy towards the end there and it it was really odd they even went that way. I'm with Stuart on this although when he first came on the screen I had a big old smile on my face and he he ripped the guy's neck and he killed him. It's his first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to kill you and I thought that was fun but the longer and the more he was on the screen the more tired I got of this basically and not nothing against McConaughey here because I do enjoy watching him in the movie somewhat but I felt that there wasn't much to play beyond what he started off with and so he had that same notes get them being played throughout the movie so with him being on the screen so much I just got tired of it because there's nothing else there. The fact that he's actually Texan, the fact that he has the accent going, that, that was fun. I'll admit the last half hour of this movie is painful for me to watch too. But for the first hour, when it's the chase and the 
whole thing before it just goes off the rails and they capture Zellweger. For the first hour, though, it's the chase through the woods, right? And they're capturing him one by one. And Tex is taunting her and letting her out of the truck and then chasing her with the truck. And the main focus of this first hour is on Zellweger Mm -hmm. and everybody else is a supporting character. The last half hour, that changes. Zellweger, like, disappears and the whole focus becomes the family. But for this first hour, every time Matthew McConaughey had a line, it was eminently quotable. Oh, we ain't even having fun yet, son. If that's what you want, it's up to you. Live and learn. I can't do his accent, but every line he fucking delivers, I wrote down as that's a great line and a great delivery. He pulled off the crazy killer better than Mosley and better than Vigo because of his laid back laconic attitude towards it. It was great, but he played the same thing he always does, you know, the stoner with the bongos. But if you looked in his eyes, he had a hard ass stare. He would fuck you up. I love him. I really am shocked by the admiration you have for it. I mean, I I don't even know what to say. Like, the lines aren't good at all. Like, there's nothing quotable about those lines at all. What you're impressed with is that the guy that can be in 20 romantic comedies can do the same shtick, and it works as a killer. And it worked for me in something like Natural Born Killers, where Woody Harrelson is able to show you that he can be more than a big doofus and have a, a, a psychotic side. Like, that was a real transformation. Here... I'm not having the same kind of, wow, you've really changed your screen persona thing. I just feel like, no, this is Matthew McConaughey trapped in a really lame slasher movie. And he actually says, all right, all right, all right, at some point. Yes, he does. He does. (laughs) It's great. It is great. I love it. Uh, Really? I I, I don't think it's great. Again, I'm going to say the same thing I said last podcast and the podcast before that. The fact that you can find that kind of enjoyment in this movie, I'm happy for you. I really (laughs) am. But I don't see how it's possible. But you know what? Again, props to you, Arnie, for finding a diamond in something very, very rough. Yeah, I, I couldn't quote you a line from this movie. Is nothing. I can't remember anything about him. Ever since I watched this movie, like a week ago, I've just been going around going, first I'm gonna kill ya. Ain't no fucking biggie. Darla, the real estate agent lady, she doesn't do a whole lot in this movie. And while she does have that sort of southern quality of being able to smile through any given situation and playing off very bad things by by being charming, I kind of appreciate that. That gets a little old. But she does do something in here that no other female character in Texas Chainsaw Massacre has done. Do you know what it is? Shut her boobs. Exactly. <laughs> the titty shot. It's here. Finally, four movies in, they realize that, hey, this is a slasher movie. Aren't we supposed to have a naked chick in it? I don't understand the scene myself. It involves possible teenagers throwing rocks through the window to get her to flash. Uh, whatever. It, it makes a sense as anything in this movie, but they finally do it. Well, I got to say that this is what clued me in that she was part of the family. Because normal real estate agents don't flash people who break their windows. So that was my key that all was not right in that real estate office. The fact that she called Matthew McConaughey as the tow truck driver cinched it. What cinched me that she was on the up and up as a real estate person is that her real estate office was in a trailer. <laughs> in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere. At night. I thought that was a joke, actually, but it's it's hard to know. The line between joke and unintentional comedy is so thin here. And then there's the other guy in the family while we're going through the family members. W.E., played by Joe Stevens. You know, he's kind of like if Matthew McConaughey's in the Vigo role, this guy's kind of the fixer 
for this movie, but he doesn't really ever do much. I know that I said he was supposed to be played by the cook from the previous movies, but the cook at least felt patriarchal. This guy just kind of felt like he was constantly arguing with Vilmer. No, he felt like somebody in a coffee house. Like, he's quoting literary figures all the time. I'm like, how does he even have an education? He doesn't even look that unclean. He really just looks like if he went into an Austin coffee shop, this guy would probably chat you up. I I felt like he didn't fit. And I always feel like this family has at least one extra member they don't need. And this is it in this movie. We don't need W.E. I don't know why he's here. We don't need him doing the quotes overly quoted quotes at that. He also did political figures as well as famous literature guys. And I felt that was just weird. You know, you might as well have him do movie quotes at that point. You know, really old run-of-the-mill movie quotes. It's like someone did a quick search for the most famous quotes ever and gave it to this guy to say. Was on top of that, like Al Pacino did in Dick Tracy, he kept on telling us who said it. And so what is that supposed to be character development through quotes? Because I didn't get any of that. These grandiose people and, and, and say these important things in their pieces to have this little man who is not important say them. If that's the joke, I don't think it's funny because there's no humor there for me. I think it's supposed to be ironic that this kind of dirty hick is able to quote all of these scholarly sources. Really? Uh, that's irony? Uh, I fail to see it. Well, irony is when something goes against expectation. You wouldn't expect him to talk like this, so thus ironic. Okay. It's like rain on your wedding day. Yes, it's like a thousand spoons when all you need is a knife. (laughs) (laughs) It's like wanting a good horror movie and watching The Next Generation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that one is ironic. Leatherface, who we haven't talked about because this movie is misnamed. Nobody dies by chainsaw this whole fucking movie. Correct. I couldn't think of one scene. There's not one. There's not a chainsaw death in this movie. But what do you guys think of Leatherface this time? Well, <laughs> they brought him back to the cross-dressing again, right? To an extreme. He looked like Dame Edna. Yes. This is the first time that I felt like they were dealing with a transgendered individual. That this was actually someone that wishes they were a woman and that the presumed murder and wearing of the skin is a way about, kind of like Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs, transforming themselves into a different gender. Uh, However, unlike Silence of the Lambs, it's played completely for laughs. It's like uh, she changes the skin on her face the way that you would change an outfit i mean it's really a costume change and it's meant to be funny we're supposed to think that it's hysterical that leatherface is a tranny and how could that not be funny i mean how is that not funny how is that funny it's been funny since abbott and costello put on dresses you know it's been funny since some like it hot and Bugs Bunny yeah. did it, too, so it has to be high comedy. I, hey, I'm sorry, but, you know, funny's funny. You know, everybody's putting on dresses for laughs. Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams. Maybe that's not my genre, but uh, my <laughs> genre is horror and even horror comedy and satire. And I've got to say, I neither wanted nor found it amusing that that is what they did with their central villain figure. Well, that's the thing here, Stuart. Leatherface is not the central villain here. And that is even worse than the last movie of 
having him not even really in the movie. So Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies now no longer about Leatherface, where they really weren't about him anyway at all, but he's the figure that they could have built this entire franchise on, as we talked about last episode. He is the known quantity. No one ever talks about the hitchhiker or about any of the other ones. Not at all. He's the one that people go to. You say Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He's the one and only they make figures about and think about and, and all of that. And yet, you're right. He's always been a supporting character. He's always been part of an ensemble, has never had the lead. He's an iconic figure, but yeah, he's never been the lead villain. He's a tool. And I don't mean that like, ha Yes, you do. But there's a way to use him. And they're not using him here in that capacity at all. No, they're mocking the audience for even wanting a horror movie. And that's fine if you're funny. If you're witty, if you're scream, if you're a movie that understands convention and turns it on its head and makes me laugh and makes me think you're clever. Sure. This movie's not funny. It's not even as funny as part two. And I didn't give a recommend to part two. This movie is terrible. It it is. But I went along with so much of this. and. I don't know if I'm laughing with it or at it, but I'm laughing and having a good time. Oh, oh, wow. Now, that that goes away this last half hour, though. And it was during this part of the movie where it lost focus, where, like, McConaughey's fighting with his girlfriend, then fucking her on the pizza boxes and controlling his leg and talking about Kennedy assassinations. And watching this movie reminded me of something, because when I saw The Phantom Menace back in 99 and little Anakin's talking about having bombs implanted in their head, I'm like, I've seen that somewhere before, and I could never place it. Lucas stole it from this movie because the real estate lady says they all have bombs planted in their head. And if she tries to leave Vilmer, her head will explode. Yeah, I'm, I think I remember uh, Lucas talking about the influence of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre on his entire oeuvre of movies. Um, no. <laughs> think hey, that's they, can, fi- they can fight over that. I'm not going to watch either one of these again. <laughs> that whole thing, I'd like to get into that if, if you don't mind, because there's something that I really don't get. Talk about losing focus. I thought the real estate lady, her being full of crap the entire movie anyway, when she came out with that whole thing about who's behind the Kennedy assassination, I thought she was full of it again. And then the little guy comes in, the Polian guy comes in from the stretch limo and confirms all that. I'm scratching my head like, what? Yeah. And he pulls open his shirt and it's like hieroglyphics. And I'm like, is he an alien? Because he's got like an udder. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I thought those were piercings. He, they, I thought that was ritual scarring and piercings, like that they have some kind of significance that he's cut into his body. Okay. I, that, that may be ritual scarring, but the piercings appeared to be on three nipples around his waist that looked like an udder to me. Mm. I just didn't understand why that movie went that direction and what it means to the rest of the movie. Are they implying that they're here to keep the balance uh, in the world so they do these things only in Texas because Kennedy's assassination happened in Texas as well? I'm going to stop you right there and say yes. That part is true. And and one of the things I love about the movie Slacker, I don't know if you've ever seen it, it's a portrait of Austin, Texas that follows a hundred different people, is that it really links the whole idea of Kennedy getting killed to the popularity of conspiracy. That if it hadn't gone down that way on the grassy knoll in Dallas, there's a lot of people in Texas that wouldn't be so crazy in the head. And like you, I thought that the real estate agent was just spinning craziness. And then the punchline is, of course, actually the conspiracy is real. And for the first time, I feel like they're being satirical about Texas. That's the satire I didn't get then, because this just confused me. By this point, it's like I was going with the movie as a fun ride for the first hour. 
power. And then when they start just focusing on the family, Zellweger again isn't in it for a long time. They bring in this Judd Nelson looking guy and he opens his shirt and licks Zellweger's face. I- I'm wondering what the fuck is going on anymore. And he's like saying this isn't what we do. This isn't against the rules. I'm like, I honestly for a little while thought they were aliens feeding on human flesh and Leatherface was like the butcher. And they might be. I mean, this is clearly X-Files. I thought I was watching those X-Files movies again. I mean, it's clearly gone in that direction. It's the 90s. The X-Files was at the zenith of its popularity when this was being made and put out. And yes, they were at the point where they realized that what they had, the family characters were not enough to be threatening. So we have to create a larger threat to give them some kind of weight. It's, it, it happens in all of those series. It, it, you know, it happened in New Nightmare. It happened in Jason Goes to Hell. And it happened in Halloween 6. They do it every time. It's an act of complete desperation. And usually ends up being the worst of whatever series that it's happening in. Yeah. Like, at the very end, Renee Zellweger escapes. It's daylight. She's running away. She's being chased by McConaughey. And this, like, crop duster plane comes down and takes out McConaughey. Was that... At the men in black punishing him? I've always wondered where the fuck this airplane came from. It came out of the blue is where it came from. It came out of left field is where it came from. I didn't get that at all. Didn't we watch that X-Files movie together, Arnie? There's these choppers in the cornfield and they chase and like, I mean, I just feel like it's that. It's like suddenly you realize that there are people larger than these killers, that there are killers behind the killers and we don't know who they are. Is this really the proper venue to to discuss that? No. Is this really (laughs) the proper way to end this character? No, but it's a very... Very terrible joke, this ended. Yeah, I've always been confused by that airplane. And I I realized watching it this time and having seen the original so recently that it's kind of like the airplane is the semi-truck that runs over the hitchhiker. But not. (laughs) Yeah, because uh, crop dusters don't really get down that low and that never really happens. And yes. Did you guys laugh at the old couple in the RV with their Bloody Marys? I didn't laugh once, so no. (laughs) I thought that was unfortunate that the old couple had their car flipped over and they died for just doing the right thing. We don't know that they died. And actually, they didn't do the right thing either. They wanted to leave Zellweger there until they saw the monster with the chainsaw, as they called it. But we don't know that they died because Zellweger was in the same bus and she climbed out. I got the impression they both died from the flip. But you're right. We don't actually see them die. So I didn't count them in my body count. Mm, nor do I count them at all. They're just there to <laughs> be the figure that picks her up. I mean, we never saw the truck driver that took Sally away in the original. So I feel like we got a little bit more than we usually do from this dust ex machina that comes in and solves the problem. But and right. that's not the ending. The ending is the limo pulling up and her getting what I can only consider director's commentary, in which the guy is, I'm so sorry. This was supposed <laughs> to be spiritual. It turned out terrible. My apologies. I'm disappointed with the failure. I'm like, yeah, her reaction is my reaction. Fuck you. Fuck you for making me sit through this. I missed that the actors from the first Texas Chainsaw were in that. 
Were they supposed to be the same characters? I sure hope not. No, absolutely not. And I wouldn't have known it. I knew the woman on the stretcher. That was the only one I could tell you. I had to look it up online to see that Francis, the guy in the wheelchair, who I wasn't sure he wasn't in a wheelchair because every time I saw an interview with him or anything, he was always sitting down. <laughs> but he is the orderly pushing her on the gurney. And then apparently the guy who played Grandpa is the cop. Because the camera lingered on that woman, and I said to myself, as I often did when we watched like, the Star Trek movies, for example, when they kept on focusing, I think it was Major Barrett, she kept on popping up. I said to myself, she has to be somebody. Who is she? And for the life of me, it never even occurred to me that those two actors were who they were. Here's what's funny is it I only figured this out this time because in the credits, that role of woman in stretcher, it says anonymous. So I couldn't look her up. And IMDb, back when I saw this in the 90s, was around, and it just listed her as anonymous, and I could not figure out who the fuck she was, but now it's known it was Sally. Why is it anonymous? It's part of the the humor of this director. If you don't think that's funny, I recommend you continue not laughing at the rest of this movie. (laughs) But let me ask you. I kind of wondered if when that guy was giving his explanation in the limo, was it kind of like the game? Was it that they were supposed to make her experience terror so that she'd appreciate the rest of her life? Is it like Tyler Durden? Arnie, I can't believe you're going to give this credence. Do not spend any brain power on this. This is stupid. There is no point to that. The point of that is they were building X-Files bullshit. They were having a prank on us for having bothered to sit through the end of this movie. And they're going to sit there and tell us oh we'll tell you in the next time this is a joke of a horror sequel and the joke is on you if you think that there's something more to be said about it it is the guy basically taking a piss on my face <laughs> that's how i feel this director whipped it out and pissed on my face and said ha ha, ha you wanted a movie well enjoy it well i guess now that the piss is out there's only one thing left to say brock Stuart, do you recommend the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation? We think we know what Stuart's going to say, so we'll start with Brock. This movie is terrible. And unfortunately, with the movie the way it starts off, you know from the get-go that this is not a movie that you want to sit through. I I remember watching this movie and looking at the clock and thinking, my God, I have 65 minutes left. I couldn't believe that they were going to keep going for another hour. I was like, what are they going to possibly do for another hour? I couldn't believe that this movie was harder to watch than the last one because of the two named stars in this thing that I thought I was going to have more fun with this one than I did the last one, and I ended up having less fun with this one. If I thought the last one was banal, this one was just a waste of time. No, I do not recommend this movie, and I recommend you do not watch this movie. That's how strongly I am not recommending this movie. It's a shame. It's a dying shame that this series has fallen to this depth here. But it's not even fun bad. It's not at any point fun bad. Like, you know, the first half of Star Trek V was fun bad, and, and after a while it just got tiresome. This, from the get-go, is not fun bad. It's just bad. No. Brock, you said you were watching the clock. You know this is the shorter cut of The Next Generation, right? The original 1995 cut was like nine minutes longer, but those studio executives in their wisdom cut nine minutes. And I have to find some Canadian bootleg DVD if I want to see those nine minutes. They missed about 85 more. Mm. Stuart, 
Yeah, I, I obviously don't recommend it, and I'm at a loss for even trying to explain why it exists. I mean, I really do feel like it being created by the original screenwriter, I thought I was going to see a return to something, but it ended up being the parody of the last movie that I hated. It's like mocking us for wanting more. It actually seems to resent the fact that it even exists, and I have to agree with it. I resent that it exists. I resent that it hates me for wanting a scary movie. It just has contempt in its heart. And that if it were funnier, it, that could be called satire. But this is just poison. I'm glad that you can find entertainment in this, Arnie. But to me, you are speaking a foreign language that I will never decode. I have no idea what could be possibly construed as entertainment in this foul, stupid, terrible film. I recommend this movie. I do. I am enthusiastically recommending this movie if you're a fan of trash horror that has performances that are so bad they're good and lines that are just so out there that you're going to be quoting them. This is the showgirls of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. All right. I can see that if you like trauma films, you might find some of the spirit here, but I think the trauma films are smarter than this, but go on. I'm not saying this movie's smart. In fact, the movie reveals its total retardedness when it tries to be smart by having this man in black show up. But the first hour of this movie, I was just having a grand old time. It was dumb fun laughing at this movie or with this movie i can't even quite tell exactly the last half an hour was excruciating just excruciating i wanted it over so quick because as soon as they stopped being your standard stalker in the woods and became this family dynamic among the family which is still too big and all of the conspiracy with the man in black the the movie goes off the rails and it not in a good way not in a fun way it's just like as soon as the man in black shows up and i swear he does look like judd nelson but as soon as he shows up it's like turn it off just stop because the rest of the movie doesn't even make any fucking sense anyway so i enjoy it i think mcconaughey is just hysterical in it yeah watch this movie if you want a good laugh and i gotta say the nicest thing i can say about these last two texas chainsaw massacre is they actually have me anticipating <laughs> the reboot at this one i actually feel like i know that michael bay would not put out things as shoddy and terrible as the last two movies that i watched have so, you seen transformers i have seen both and i feel like they are better movies than the two that i have just watched Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. I enjoyed Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Next Generation far more than I enjoyed either Transformers film. I actually I, just finished watching Transformers 2 today, and I can say with authority, although I did not enjoy Transformers 2, and we may do that as a podcast series in the future, I enjoyed it imminently more than, than Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The New Beginning, or whatever this one is called. You guys would be doing that without me. I think you'd have an easier time getting Stuart to rewatch these past two Texas Chainsaws than you'd have getting me to rewatch either Transformers. <laughs> be that as it may, I, I am actually looking forward to seeing a reboot and seeing professionals make a movie that attempts to be good. I don't have good memories of it, but you know what? Having watched Leatherface, having watched Next Generation, okay, bring it on. Let's let's see something competent or at least aspiring to competency. And, you know, I want to join you in that, Stuart, but I'm having trouble doing so. The last two Platinum Dunes have been less than stellar. Oh, they keep killing these horror guys, haven't they? I 
mean, when's the next Jason coming? When's the next Freddy? I, I don't think ever. So I don't, I don't want to go in there with a predisposed to an opinion, but the only thing I know about this remake is it's a remake, and it's by Platinum Dune. And so we've been doing enough of these podcast series now for the past year and a half, two years, with these retrospectives format, that when you hear Platinum Dunes, there's a certain expectation you certainly can expect. Yes, and because of this, the expectation was goodness for me. So Stuart, Brock, thank you for joining me for now playing, even if I was speaking a different language this whole time. Well, that's not the first time you have, and we always have varied opinions. And to find out for yourself, you can check out our archive section. Ah, transition! And you can find that archive section of our and our nowplayingpodcast.com website, where we have Friday the 13th, Halloween, we have Nightmare on Elm Street, we have Terminator, Star Trek, a whole bunch of different kinds of series up there you can find and see which ones we agreed on, which ones we didn't agree on, which ones we thought the other person was crazy for recommending, and vice versa. And you can find all of that there in our archive section. You can also find out what the listener thinks by going to our forums, and you can find those at a link at nowplayingpodcast.com. You can also read other tiny movie reviews, daily things that we post. All of our hosts post little kind of mini reviews of things we watch during the week at our Now Playing Facebook page and on Now Playing Pod, our Twitter address. So be sure to follow us in both places to get the latest in Now Playing. And who knows, maybe we'll post a contest up there or something now and then, and you have a chance to win something cool. And when you go to the webpage, I hope when you're, when you're looking at all the content we got up there, you happen to also notice at the very bottom a nice little button. I'd hope all of you like to click a little time. Uh, <laughs> donate. And it's going to come in real handy for you right now because as of right now, if you do that and you type in a one and a zero and then send that in your little PayPal, you're going to get something nice. You are going to get five something little nice in the form of a killer little doll named Chucky, little series that Arnie Brock and I have called Child's Play, where we review the entire series. It's an exclusive. You have to donate to hear, but it is a nicely done, good as any other podcast we've ever done, take on the Child's Play Chucky series. And I really hope that uh, you guys want to hear it bad enough to participate. I just want to add, you don't have to just donate the $10. And it's our way of saying <laughs> oh, thank God you. Forbid. I stop you from sending your life savings. I could get televangelist if you want. <laughs> Jesus wants you to send it. And and I just want to, for the record, say not only do we call it child's play, <laughs> I, I think the world does as well, but you get the point. Child's play, Chucky, bride of Chucky, son of Chucky, grandfather of Chucky, all of them are there. And we, as a thank you for donating to us, because frankly, folks, we don't have advertisers. We're not getting paid to do this. And bandwidth, and we've gotten so popular in the past year, thanks to you, the fans. The downloads have just been remarkable, and we thank you for that. Uh, but it does cost us some money, and so we're trying to reach the recoup costs. So yes, we, appreciate we are not that. trying to scam you, and we are not trying to get rich off this. We are not going to get rich off this. We are trying to get money back, because this costs money to see the shows to put this together, to get the materials. That's all we're trying to do. We are trying to stay out of the red. We are not Scrooge McDucking this. <laughs> yes, exactly. Ah, say, Dambella. Give us donations, I beg of you! <laughs> I just loved that. <laughs> I just loved <laughs> that. <laughs> And if it's not enough to get Child's Play 
and Texas Chainsaw Massacre from us. We even did another podcast. Wow. Where was I? You were on the call. Oh, okay. We reviewed the social network and it seemed appropriate that we made it our first Facebook fan page exclusive. Very cool. And there's no donations required. You just have to go to Facebook. You have to be a fan of the page to see it. And then click on the FB exclusives tab and you can download Stuart, I, and Marjorie reviewing the social network, the recent David Fincher movie. It's like a sequel to Fight Club with computers. <laughs> Be sure to come back each and every week to Now Playing Podcast to find a new episode. of. There's always going to be free ones, and next week, always. I guess. So we reconvene in a week when we talk about the remake of The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No, he, he's out there with a chainsaw. No. no, he had a chainsaw. He was chasing me with a chainsaw. Thank you for listening to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre retrospective series from Now Playing. It's what the public wants! Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we cut into a new installment in this classic franchise. People may not remember what we say here tonight, but they sure as shit gonna remember what we do. You can find other Now Playing retrospective series such as Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Saw, Terminator, Star Trek, and others at our website. Me and Bubba, my little brother, we listen to you every night. Go to nowplayingpodcast.com and click the archives link to find those series, as well as individual movie reviews such as Avatar and Inception. We got the means, we got the machine. And while at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the Texas Chainsaw Massacre films with other podcast listeners. First, I'm going to kill you. It ain't no fucking biggie. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post new episodes, and the Now Playing hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. Welcome to my world! Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. If you enjoy Now Playing, please support the show. You can find a link to donate to the show using PayPal on our homepage, or you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more at the Now Playing Cafe Press store. If you need anything, just tweet. <laughs> and remember, if you make a donation of $10 or more made by October 31st, 2010, you will receive as our thank you the exclusive Now Playing Child's Play retrospective series. Now playing, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series is edited by Jay and Arnie. Boys, you never should have been doing this. Now playing is not affiliated with New Line Cinema, Canon Films, Columbia Pictures, or Platinum Dunes. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the intellectual property of its copyright and trademark holders, and no infringement is intended. I'll speak plain. Saves time. Now playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2010. Brazos. Brazos. Yippee! Let's go. I'm loading the fucking wiki page. Wiki, I'm, wiki, wiki. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just in the mood now. <laughs> yeah, you are. You'll love it. <laughs>
and and then you she's have an Oscar. This is the first time in this series, maybe in any series, where we're talking about an Oscar-winning actress. Well, no, well, in in a horror movie, anyway, because mm-hmm. Whoopi Goldberg was in Star Trek. Oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Barely. <laughs> Give me another drink, Whoopi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can break with your little Oscar on the tray if you want. <laughs> anyway, what anyway, the hell are we talking about? <laughs> I, hey, I'm sorry, but you know, funny's funny. Corey Haim did it. Every, you know, everybody's putting on dresses for laughs. Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams. All right, you named the big ones. I named Haim. Yeah, I, look, I was in. I was impressed. Said something like it hot. I was like, Arnie's seen something like it hot. Fantastic, great for him. <laughs> I was impressed by that, which I love that movie, by the way. But that's he's an icon, you know. He he's the colonel for chicken to human flesh. He, he he's a tool, and I don't mean that like. Ha-ha. Yes, you do. Yeah. Yes, well, you do. Well, he I don't know tool. though, and so well, is yeah. the filmmakers. I, this is the first time I felt like the stunts were convincing. They you, they weren't editing around bad stunt work. You saw the power lines because I didn't see the power lines the first time. I had to rewind it. I saw her literally floating in air. <laughs> I couldn't understand how she was doing that. I'm like, is she on a tree branch? I I really had to rewind it and figure that out. <laughs> Pissed on my face. <laughs> That's just nasty. 